All right, I recently read a poem by Edwin Mc... Uh, I, I can't say his last name. Markham called The Shoes of Happiness. Now, the poem tells the story of a king in Istanbul who was sick. He, he was severely ill, and so he, he, he gathered together all of the wise men in the entire kingdom, and he said, hey, help me find a cure. Right, what's going on? I need a cure. You're all the wise men, so put your heads together and tell me how I can get better. So all these wise men, they got together, and they, they studied the situation. They looked at it from every angle, up and down, and at the conclusion of their study, they announced that the only one thing could cure the king. Only one thing could cure him from his ailments and, and keep him on this side of heaven's door, and that was that he needed to wear the shoes of a perfectly happy man. Now, some poems just stink, and you know it, right? You're like, oh, that's awful. These guys aren't that wise. That's, this is going to be a terrible poem. But, but I kept reading because now I was hooked. All right? What is a perfectly happy man, and what do his shoes look like? And so I kept reading. And this is where the wise men, they, they set off, and they try to find this perfectly happy man and take his shoes. And so in the poem, they, they go over to a man who was very wealthy. He had everything that he ever wanted. And, and they go over to him and, and they say, um, are you happy? And the man, he's like, no, I, I'm not happy. I have all of this stress and I have all of this worry because of my money. And then the wise men, they go down the road and they find some young men. And they're like, oh, they're going to be perfectly happy men. But then they go over there, and these young men, they're, they're worried that they're going to lose their youth, right? And, and so they, they go to the old men who are across the street, and they quickly realize that these old guys, they're worried because they lost their youth, right? And so they just keep going back and forth, and they're searching, and they found some lovers, and they were, they were worried that they were going to lose their beloved and then there were some soldiers. They went up to the soldiers, and, the, and they realized that the soldiers were worried and stressed and concerned, unhappy over the death of their comrades. And so they decide to, to find someone unattached to a person or, or to a place or to a material thing. And that's when they see a, a carefree pilgrim just just kind of skipping down the road, and they're like, man, right? this guy has to be him. This has to be the perfectly happy dude that we're searching for in this poem. And they go up to him, and he says, I'm not happy. I'm just wise. Right? And so they're like, oh, man. And the, I know, it's a long poem. And they go on and on, and they finally get to a man who's homeless, and things aren't looking good, but they go up to this, this, this man, and, and, and and they say, man, are you the perfectly happy man? And the homeless man says, yes, I am. I'm perfectly happy. And so they look down at his feet to get his shoes, and he doesn't have any shoes. <laughs> Told you, dumb poem. Right? It doesn't even have a happy ending. But it got me thinking, right? Happiness is something that we're all searching for, right? Just think about it. Happiness is something that we're all searching for. I don't think many of us were walking around and we're hoping that we're going to be miserable and just 
awful feelings in our life. That's what we're searching for. That's not what we're doing, right? We're hoping just for a little bit of peace, uh, just a little piece of happiness each day, right? If I look at some of your bank accounts, I, I could tell that this was true. And do you know how I know that this would be true? It's because I would see that Starbucks bill every day when you swipe your card. Because you go in there and you're just hoping that a little bit of caffeine will bring you some happiness. Right? Or, or maybe that, that video game console that you bought. A little bit of happiness or that new pair of shoes or that, that new bottle of wine. Right? We may not say it out loud. We may not verbalize it. But these things are our hopes for a little bit of happiness in our day. It's just the way, way it is. Maybe it's not something you buy, but it's how you spend your time. Right? Your kids are driving you nuts, so you sit down in the living room. You start to kind of scroll through your, your phone. If you're distracted, you, you think they won't bother you, and you'll get a little bit of peace and quiet and maybe some happiness. Your, your job is, is slowly but surely just killing you. It's dragging you down. And so each morning, you, you have to set 15 alarms because you're going to hit snooze of just hoping for a few more moments of sleep. And in that sleep, you hope that you'll actually dream a dream that's happy, and you're going to forget about the ridiculous commute that you have to take in just a little bit, or, or your horrible boss, or that crazy employee. You, you get what I'm saying? Right? It seems like almost every decision we make can be traced back in some way or some fashion to our desire to search for, to find, to obtain happiness in our life. Right? The, the, the famous mathematician and theologian Pascal once said it like, like this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without expectation. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause uh, some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never uh, take the, the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. We're, we're looking for happiness. Clearly, we all want to be happy. And we're making a lot of decisions in hopes of finding happiness. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so I guess it would be a good time to take a step back and ask the question that Christina, my wife, likes to ask me all the time. I think she got it from her counseling degree training. But it's this question. How is that working for you? Right? Right? If, if we're making decisions searching for happiness, and we're looking for happiness, and we're never really quite obtaining it, we got to ask ourselves, how is that working for us? Right? If we're making all of the decisions that we're making in hopes of finding happiness, and again, we may not verbalize it like that, but, but really just think, right? But we're still seeking happiness. Well, I think we would have to say it's not really working. We're not doing all that good of a job at searching for happiness. So, so here's what we have to ask ourselves. This is the onion that we need to peel today. And it's this. How do I stop striving for happiness and actually achieve it? 
How do I actually obtain it? And as with all things in this world, when we have these questions, Foundry Church, the first place that we should look is in the Bible, God's Word to us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, open them up. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are free for you to have, to take, to give away, to use. We're going to be in Matthew, which is in the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Look, as you're turning there, this is where we're going to be in the next few weeks. We're going to cover these three chapters over the next few weeks. Right? This week, we're going to start a series focused on these three chapters. Right? If, you ever, if you've ever read or if you have a Bible with all the red letters of Jesus, right, where they make all the sayings and the words, the speech of Jesus into red, Right, you'll notice that these three chapters are pretty much all red. Right? And that's because these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, are what Jesus really thinks. They're his mic drop. Right? If you want to know what Jesus thinks about something, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 first. Right? It's mic drop after mic drop. He's the, he's the original one saying all these things. If you want to know what Jesus is thinking or thought about something, these three chapters are the place to start. All right, and listen, these three chapters are long referred to, and it might even say in your Bible, as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you read these chapters through, again, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you are a quick reader, it will probably take you 10 minutes. If you read like me, it'd probably be closer to like 15 minutes. So I don't know really why they started calling this the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's probably closer to the devotional on the side of the mountain. But nevertheless, these three chapters that we're going to focus on for the next few weeks, this sermon for the next couple of weeks that we're going to look at, we're going to take some powerful statements of Jesus, some of those mic drop moments where he just throws it down, right? where he just throws it down for us as disciples of his and teaches us some very powerful things. And today we're going to take a look at just 12 verses of this sermon and see what Jesus has to say about finding and achieving true happiness. Right? If we forge our life on God, this is how you find happiness. This is how you have happiness in your life. So with all that buildup, with all that talk about Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're actually going to start in Matthew chapter 4 to get a little bit of context, all right? you. All right, Matthew 4, look at it with me. Verses 23 through chapter 5, verse 2. It says, and he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame is spread throughout all Syria and they, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with very various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he helped them. 
And then because of that, right, it says a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Then verse 5, right, the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Hence the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Right, his disciples came to him. And then it says in verse 2, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, keep your finger there, we'll be right back. Right? So in chapter 4 of Matthew, we see the beginning of Jesus' like real public ministry on earth. At the beginning of chapter 4, he, he's, he's called his close disciples, and a disciple just means a follower of Jesus or a student. All right, that's what disciple means. But here's the thing. Jesus says, a disciple of mine isn't just following me. A disciple of mine is going to do what I do, and that's seeking to save the lost. That's to go and make other disciples of him. And so he gathers all of his disciples, and he's going around. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's healing the sick. He's doing his thing. He's teaching them uh, to be fishers of men, and Jesus makes his disciples and he's training them up to make other disciples, and everything's going great. He's getting famous. He's making a name for himself before Instagram. How do you do that? Right? And this crowd is growing, and it's growing around him. And so he looks around, and he sees this, this mass of people, and he takes them out of the city. He takes them to the mountainside with the crowd of, of his closest disciples, and he sits down, as was the custom in his time. Like, if I was preaching today in the custom of the New Testament, I would be sitting and you would all be standing. Right? I think maybe we should do that. <laughs> right? But he, but he sits down and he, he starts the teaching and he basically says, Okay, folks. Okay, people. Okay, disciples. who are going to make disciples who are going to take my mission, who are going to take my grace and my truth in the world, buckle up. Class is in session. Let's dig in. Let's put the hammer down on the anvil. Let's do the work. Right? That's, what, that's what he's doing. That's what's happening here at the beginning of this great sermon. And then it says, Jesus opens his mouth and he taught them. Right? And we read over this quickly, didn't we? I was like, I read it, and I was like, keep your finger there. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But those words are important in the original context of the language here. Right? Their form, that statement there, that form was only used in that way before a great speech was given. And not just any great speech, but a speech that was going to be somber and was going to change the trajectory of your life. It was a speech that a general would use before he went into battle with his troops, knowing they were the ones that were going to have to be the tip of the spear. And knowing that they were going to have to cross the battlefield first, right? To, to, to get out of the foxhole and charge across the field first, right? So in Greek literature, it's often used before an oracle spoke and, and told you what steps to take. But here in Matthew, it is used to say, Pay attention. Pay attention, disciples. Pay attention to this part. What, what I'm about to say is going to change everything. It's going to change the trajectory. Forget about those miracles. 
Forget about those healings. Forget about all the teachings in the synagogues, right? Forget that stuff. This is going to be soul-changing, eternity-making type of stuff that we're going to talk about. Right? And so listen to what he says. Let's read on, verses 3 through 12. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says in verse 11, Blessed are you, while others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right. <laughs> what? Right. So, so how does Jesus begin his longest uninterrupted message to his disciples and to his followers, even us today? He begins by pronouncing a weird kind of person. That's what he begins. That's how he begins by describing. A, a different kind of person. Now, you may have heard these statements as the Beatitudes of Scripture. And the Beatitude, that word, is just a fancy Latin word or way of saying happiness or blessedness. Right? Jesus begins by saying, you've come to me. All these crowds... You have come to me asking for miracles, for healing, to be fed. All this stuff that you think will make you happy, you're asking for. Well, here, here is how you find real happiness. True happiness. Right? Everything you thought was true, everything that you, you thought would bring you happiness. Everything you thought was wrong, right? Jesus, Beatitudes, the original, drop the mic here. That's what he's doing, right? These things, these statements literally flip everything we thought we knew on its head, right? And he took that flip. When it flips on its head, he took that flip and he said, what you think is success what you think is the top of the ladder, the top of achievement, is actually the bottom. That's what he's saying. First, right, he says the spiritually bankrupt are happy. Right? Blessed are what? The poor in spirit. Right? What Jesus is saying here is, is happy are you, fortunate are you, disciple, blessed are you when you discover that you're spiritually busted, that you're broke. You ever, you ever seen that, that, that little video on social media with the kid? He's doing his homework, and this teacher or his parent, they're filming him, and the question is like, uh, hey, Jaden has a dollar, 
and he has a quarter and he has a nickel. How much money does Jaden have? And the kid kind of thinks about it and he says, Jaden's broke. <laughs> you know what? You've seen that video? Jesus is saying, You're broke, right? You're broke, right? This is Jesus saying, Listen, the pride's got to drop. The ego has to go. You've got to say, I need God. I cannot do this on my own. You're broke. The poor in spirit are those who know they have sinned, have missed the mark with their life, and know that they have have shot their arrow away from the bullseye, and that they need God. They need God to get back on target. I think it's, it's important to note that here in the in the ancient Greeks, they, they have uh, two different words for the working poor, right? those that are striving and working, and they just maybe aren't there yet in society. But then the truly, truly downstricken, like the truly poor, there's two different words. And the word for the truly poor here is, indicates that someone must beg for everything they have to get. Everything. They're at the mercy of everyone and everything. Jesus used that word for truly poor here at the beginning of these Beatitudes. He he knows that every blessing we get as a disciple of his, as someone who's forging a lifelong reliance on God, everything we get, every hope of happiness we have comes from God. And he wants us to know that. Right? Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, he put it like this. He says, a ladder, if it is to be of any use, must have its first step near the ground, or feeble climbers will never be able to mount. It would have been a grievous discouragement to struggling faith if the first blessing had been given to the pure in heart. Right to, to that excellence, the young beginner makes no claim, while to poverty of the spirit he can reach without going beyond his mind. We're poor. We're broke. First rung on the ladder, though, we can all say, we can all take a step on that. Right, the very first rung is, is blessed are the poor in spirit because we can all start there if we're willing to let pride go. If we're willing to let ego go, we can all take that first step of saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. I messed up. I need God. You hear me all the time say sin. Sin is an archery term. And sin means you missed the mark. You didn't hit the bullseye. We can all say that. No matter how good we think we are, we can all say, I missed the bullseye at one point in my life. Right? So we can all take that first step of saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. I messed up. I need God. We can take that step and we can get to the second step, the second rung on the louder, which is those who weep are happy, right? Blessed are they that mourn, it says. Okay, so now we got to take a step back and we're like, Jesus, man, this first I got to be busted. I got to be broke, right? Poor. And now I have to weep. All right, we're getting off to a pretty rough sermon, right? We're not off to a great start working toward happiness here, right? The beatitude. But listen, Foundry Church, listen, if, if we truly believe that we are busted, we will weep. 
We'll cry. Right? When we recognize that we need God, it should start to do something on the inside of us. It will break our heart. It will tear us in two. It will cause pain. It will cause us to weep. It will cause us sorrow. The word for mourn here, to mourn here, used here, the word that's used here is the strongest word for mourning in the original language. Right? And one commentary put it like this. It is the word used for the mourning of the dead, for the passionate lament for one who was loved. It's the mourning we would have over the death of our spouse, over the death of our child. If we deep in our soul know that we are busted and that we're broke, that first rung of the ladder, we will mourn with our whole being because we are dead. We're broke, we're busted, we know that. And so we're going to mourn. And Jesus says, once you're there... I'll comfort you. I'll comfort you. You see, Jesus says this grief, this weeping, it's just a path to my comfort. But you must go through it. Right? And then that brings you up another rung on the ladder. Right? He says those who, who turn over the controls to God are happy. Because right? it, it said, blessed are the meek. Right? When you hear that word meek, don't think of a weak, wimpy, I struggled to come up with an analogy here, but the best I could do was like Barney Fife in, in the uh, Andy Griffith shows. Right? Don't think of you know, Barney Fife, a weak or wimpy kind of person. Right? That's not what meek means at all. Meek is actually a word of strength. Right? Meek meant to bridle wild horses. It meant to put strength and power under control. Right? I, I think of, uh, of General Mattis, the, the Marine general. Right? He's, he's calm, he's collective, he's cool, he's level-headed, but he also says, I have a plan to kill everybody in the room at any given time. Right? He's meek, right? Because he's powerful, but he has it under control. Right, that, that's me. Jesus is saying, once you discover that you're poor in spirit, that you're broke, you're dead, it does something in your heart, you weep, right? And then it comes, comes uh, time to, to God, for him to say, God, uh, for us to say, God, I need you to control my life. I, I need you to harness me. I, I need to forge my life on you. And this is entirely countercultural. Isn't it? Right? I mean, and today when things seem to be falling apart, what is the first thing we do? I'm your pastor. I can tell you what we do. All right? <laughs> we tend to run to ourselves. We do. I do. I do. We all do. We tend to run to ourselves. We look inward. Right? I start to go over my schedule and make sure everything's like perfect and, and make sure I have the right routines and, and that's what I do. Or, or we, we look inward and we run to some self-help book. Right? That's why they're so popular. We always think that self is the answer to all of our problems. That it's our truth, our identity, our wants, our desires, all of that crud. Right? It reminds me of a, a story I recently read about. It was about a woman who was hiking in Mount Walker. It was a park that's 60 miles uh, kind of north of Seattle, and this woman was visiting this park, and she needed to use the facilities, 
And while the only thing that they had in this park, in this remote region of this park, was what they called a pit toilet. Now, where I'm from, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we just called it a two-holer, all right? Because you had a buddy that would sit next to you. Different story. All right. But she, but she goes into this pit toilet, and, and it's essentially a glorified outhouse where all the waste just kind of goes down into a pit in the ground, and there's like a shack that's built over this pit, this hole. And while this lady, she was using her phone while she was in the pit toilet. Right, which I never recommend. Right, the, us, some of the guys here, there's, there's 15 of us going to, to man camp. We're going camping. All right, you, you think we're taking your phones, that they're taking our phones so we can de-plug? It's this. All right? we, don't want to dig, we don't want to dig phones out of a porta potty all right? Well, she was using her phone. You can guess what happened. The phone fell inside. And so first, she tried to remove the toilet seat. All right, to reach in. Well, that, that didn't work. And so then she, she got the bright idea to use her dog leash to kind of make, uh, make a makeshift rope where she could kind of lean further in and, and to get the phone. And, and when she realized that the leash wasn't long enough, instead of asking for help from the others that were outside of this pit toilet, she, she leaned in further, just a little bit further, and she ended up dropping in headfirst into the pit toilet. All right, well, I have a picture. No, I'm just kidding. All right, now she was really in it, right? If you know what I mean. But she still thought she, should, she could get out of this on her own. And so she tried to climb out of the pit. But covered in this sludge, she ended up slipping and severely breaking her leg. Terrible. So she finally gave up, and she had to yell for someone to call 911. Once firefighters arrived on the scene, they used a surprisingly low-tech solution. They tossed in cinder blocks for her to stand on, which she used to stand on, and they put a harness around her and were able to kind of lift her out of this toilet. Listen, sometimes when the world around us is falling apart, Foundry, we should give up control. Right? We should give up control to someone who knows how to handle these situations before we end up covered in you-know-what. Right? Because, because here's the truth, Foundry. Self is unreliable. Ah, it just is. Self is unreliable. Self is undependable. Self cannot be trusted. Self cannot accomplish anything eternal, right? Look at this. Self cannot muster up the transformational power needed to live the kind of countercultural life that Jesus wants us to live. Self can't live an abundant, aggressive, adventurous life that we're called to live a life of happiness, right? If, if self really could help and then Jesus would have just given us a gift card to Barnes & Noble and say, go get a book, get a latte, have a nice life. But it cannot help. So Jesus said, blessed are, are you when you recognize that self can't help and you say, okay, God, I'm going to become meek. I'm going to become power, but under control, your control. And I'm going to turn the controls, the bridle, 
over to you. I'm going to forge my life on you. And to do that, when we do that, we take another step up that rung on the ladder, further up the ladder, right? And that next rung is this. Those who hunger after God are satisfied. Because what, what, I mean, what did we read, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? Once you've given your control over to God, your appetite, it starts to change. You no longer hunger for thirst and power. You no longer hunger and thirst for your political party to get into power. You no longer hunger and thirst for more money or more possessions. You no longer hunger and thirst that your opinions would be the most influential in your world. Instead, We hunger and we thirst, Foundry, for the righteousness of God, the God that we forge our life on. You hunger and you thirst for his word. You hunger and you thirst for his will to be done in all aspects of your life. You hunger and you thirst for his kingdom to come. You hunger and you thirst for the things of God now and for all of eternity. And as you hunger And as you thirst for these things of God, you're going to get filled because you've discovered that those other things, this is the beauty of it, those other things that you thought were going to fill you, they just leave you unsatisfied now. You don't even want them now. You don't even, you don't even like lust after them. But the things of God, they fill you. They fill you up. They leave you satisfied, and then they leave you digging for more. And once you're full, then the the things that come out of you, they start to change. You get get energy, and you get get on purpose, and you're on that adventure and that abundant life, and so things start to change that are coming out of you. And you move up that next rung on the ladder, and it reads like this, the happy are merciful. I mean, what's the first thing that comes out of your life once you reach this step of the ladder? Mercy. Mercy. And don't miss this, right? This is all rooted in how, as disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, we are happy. And it's all rooted in the fact that we are receiving mercy and we're giving mercy. Right, the, the, the mercy that is the first four steps of the ladder. It, it is mercy to be emptied out of your pride and brought to poverty of spirit. That's mercy. It's mercy to be brought to mourning over your spiritual condition, over missing the mark with your life. That's mercy to be weeping there. It's mercy from God, the God that we forge our life on, to receive the grace of giving over control and power to him who can actually control it. It is mercy to be made hungry and thirst after righteousness. So therefore, the the one who's expected to show mercy is one who has already received it. We get to this, this, this rung of the ladder, and we're like, man, we, we really did. We've already received it from these other, these, the mercy of all these other rungs. The mercy we show is an overflow of the mercy that we have received from our God, and it's abundant. 
Again, Spurgeon once, once explained the mercy of God this way. He said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. Once we have experienced the mercy of God, we cannot help but show it to others. And when we do that, we climb up the ladder, another rung. Right? The ones who are honest with God are happy. That's another rung, right? It says, blessed are the pure in heart. Right now, we're really, as disciples of God, we're really moving into maturity here, right? Pure in heart does not mean that we magically become perfect. That is not biblical, nor that's what this means. This phrase referred to straightness, honesty. The idea is really of single, undivided heart and attention. Those who, who utterly are sincere, and confident, are not divided in their devotion. They're committed to forging that lifelong reliance on God. Right? Jesus is saying, you want to be blessed. You want true happiness. Stop trying to be somebody else. Be totally and fully devoted to me. Quit wearing your masks. Forget what the world says. All right, forget what is trending on TikTok. Forget trying to be one person at work and one person at school and one person at church. Just be mine, he says. Mic drop after mic drop. He says, take the mask off and be totally and utterly committed to me. That is what you were created to be. That is your true identity. That's how you live an abundant, aggressive, adventurous life. That is how you are forged and that lifelong reliance on me. And then Jesus says, take that one step further and one step up the ladder. And he says, happy ones change the temperature in the room. Right? We read, blessed are the peacemaker. So, so it's all building. We're all stepping up the ladder. And he said, blessed are the peacemaker. Happy are the ones who change the temperature of the room. There are two kinds of people. There are thermometers and there are thermostats. There are thermometers and there are thermostats. And now what's a thermometer do? Right? It adjusts itself to the climate of the room. Right? And what does a thermostat do? Yeah. It sets the climate of the room. Right? That's why I want lock boxes on these so you guys quit hitting the buttons. Right? It's, he, he's saying, don't be a, a thermometer, be a thermostat. Blessed are those who can walk into any situation and just change that climate because they're so full of the Spirit of God, because they have forged a lifelong reliance on me. Right? Why do you think peacemakers are so far up the ladder? It's because, is it because it requires a lot of spiritual maturity? Doesn't it, right? And Jesus is saying, now that you are totally committed to me and trying to please, and, and, and you're, you're, you're not trying to please everyone else, let's start changing the world. Your focus. Right? You can, you can tell when people have reached this rung of the ladder. You can just tell. There are ones, uh, uh, there are people who, who just light up a room. You can tell they have the spirit of God in their life. 
right? They're, they're slow to speak. They're quick to listen. They, they rarely complain. They have a gentle spirit, but a powerful uh, uh, spirit about them at the same time, right? Christina, for example, my wife, next to Jesus, she's my role model. I don't know. That's weird, right? All right, her and Barton, they're up there. All right, but no, right? I want to be like her because she's a thermostat. She changes the temperature of the room. She giggles her way through life, yes. All right, the, the, the only time she's really in a bad mood is when she wakes up until about noon. <laughs> but other than that, she's a joy bringer. She's a thermostat, not a thermometer. Right? It is sickening, really. Right? She's a peacemaker. She's a bridge builder. She wants to bring people together to the table and for the glory of God. When she walks into a room, if the conversation is real negative, if it's, it's biting and sarcastic, it will change automatically. And she may not even know that it was negative and biting and, and, and sarcastic, whatever. Just her spirit, which is the spirit of God in her. She's just that kind of person. And blessed are you when you're like that, it says. And that gets us to the last rung of the ladder, doesn't it? Right? What is it in your Bibles? What does it say? Right? Happy are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. We get all the way to the top of the ladder. We're working our way up to, to find out how to achieve the, the beatitude, right? This, this happiness, to achieve true happiness, all that work for it to say what? Blessed are the persecuted. Hey, Jesus, did you get this wrong? All right. Did someone read your notes before you preach that sermon? That doesn't make sense, right? We were thinking happy does not usually involve people saying horrible things about me or, or plotting against me. What gives, Jesus? Well, here's what we need to know. That phrase... Blessed are the persecuted had sort of become a common phrase uh, among the Jews of that time. You can even say today, right, after this weekend's event. You see, they believed that those who were persecuted for following God's law, the ones in the, the Old Testament, would receive blessings in heaven. And they said if you follow all the rules, if you check all the boxes, if you know all the theology, if you don't eat pork, and if you don't associate with the unclean, and you memorize the Torah, then you'll be rewarded. And Jesus says here, whoa, 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 right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name, not the law, not the boxes they check, but my name, me. Right, don't miss it. Jesus is saying happiness is not found in only following the law, but also in knowing Jesus. Right, look at this. Dig into this. Right, grab a hold of this. Right, white knuckle it. Right, this is what. This is why these beatitudes. Right, this is why happiness is a ladder. Right, the first four steps. They're great. They're great, right? They were, they were mic drops in their own right. They're wonderful. It's wonderful to know that we are sinners, that we are in need of God's grace and to give him control, right? That's, that's, we have to do that. It's wonderful to hunger and to thirst to know him, but we can, we can do those things and still live the same unhappy life if we don't take these final steps. 
We don't go to the top of the ladder. You cannot just live your life with your head in a book, yelling from your safe holy huddle about how the world is falling apart. Right? That will leave you feeling as unhappy as philosophers who study religion all over the world and who never really change their life because of their study. Right? So we cannot just stop one, uh, on one rung or rung four of the ladder. We have to keep going. Right? And then there's this, this similar problem for the final four rungs of the ladder. Just like the first four. Some Christ followers have a tendency to skip the first four and they just jump over to the next four of those rungs. Right? They don't need that, that first step. They just jump on up the ladder. It just leaves them with, with the acts of a Christian, but not the change of heart that someone who knows Jesus lives in. Does that make sense, right? So they end up acting like, like a Christian, but they don't know why. And they don't know what the goal is. They think it's just something nice to do. And so they do it. Jesus has a name for that, right? Whitewashed tomb. Right? You can't skip the first four if you want to be an authentic Christ follower, someone who wants to follow a lifelong reliance on God to be forged. And you can't skip the next four if you want your life to shine before men. If you want to be a disciple who makes disciples so that they see your good works and they glorify our Father in heaven. So look, look, true happiness comes from both the heart change and the behavioral change. Heart change and our behavior, that's what the Beatitudes are, right? Because here is what you will notice about this ladder if you just zoom out, all right? If you just zoom out and you look at this ladder, these Beatitudes, it really just reflects the steps of what we would call salvation, isn't it? Right, first we, we, I mean, we acknowledge our sin. We understand that we're broken, that we've missed the mark. And we're, we're repenting from that. We're sorrowful because of that. We acknowledge that we need a savior and we invite Jesus into our life. We say, hey, take control, All right? We, we get baptized through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We get to know more and more uh, and we hunger more and more and we thirst more and more for God. And as we drink of the living water and we eat of the bread of life, our actions change. <laughs> you want to know how to achieve happiness? Forging a lifelong reliance on Jesus. That's what it's saying. You're taking these steps. You're building. You're working. You're putting the hammer down on the anvil. You're doing the hard thing, the right thing, and you're moving forward. You're living that forged life. You're living that forged life. You may not know that forged is actually an acronym, right? Forged. F. You're focused on God's kingdom. O. You're owning your spiritual growth. Right? You are, you're responsible for inviting others, right? A disciple makes disciples. G, you're growing as a leader. We're all leaders, right? You're, e, you're bracing Christian community. D, you're developing a servant's heart. So how do you achieve happiness? You take the next step up the ladder. No matter where you are. And maybe you're here today and you never heard of sin. Great. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the ladder. Take a step. Right? Maybe you're on step four, but you never really let the mercy and the grace of God change you. 
Start being a peacemaker, right? Set the temperature in the room. Be a thermometer, right? Or or maybe you skip some steps and you need to go back to the beginning and let God really work on your heart and not just your actions, but your heart. Whatever it is, take the next step in your faith. Yeah, is what his original mic drop is all about. That's what these Beatitudes are teaching us as people who forge a lifelong reliance on God and help others to do the same. Let's go ahead and stand together.